All right. Good morning. Wake you up with a little Jeff Sublet. Just a little Jeff Sublet's okay on Sunday morning. Amen. What'd you think of that little outfit? Uh, uh, speaking of outfits, I just need to get this out of the way. Some of you are looking at me going, this ain't right. What do you think of this? Is this all right? Uh, you don't know how insecure I am about this. This is, I lost a bet. <laughs> my wife bought this for me several months ago and it's been hanging in my closet. She's like, you need to get out that little thing that I did for you. And I'm like, no. I don't know how that'll work. It don't won't. It's, I don't know how it's working. Uh, I, the bet was this, though. Uh, she bet me uh, that the Dallas Cowboys would win, and I'm like, yeah, I'll take that bet. Have you seen those stupid turkeys, man? They have been horrible last month, and and I lost. Of course, they won last week, so you're being punished for that this morning. Amen. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, my name is Troy, and I'm one of pastors. And uh, as you know, as you've already heard, we're starting a new series this morning uh, called Sing, Sing. And uh, since Christmas is just a few weeks away, we thought it would be fun to sing some old classic uh, Christmas carols. But more importantly, we want to think a little bit about some of the messages that are hidden in some of these old songs. There's some great theology in that, and I thought we could kind of slow down and, and really savor this and enjoy it and uh, think about what God might be wanting to say to us this season. Today, we're going to kick this uh, series off by uh, looking at an old favorite, um, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. You all remember that one? Yeah? Um, it, before we sing it uh, together, um, I thought I would just give you a, a little history, brief history on it. It was originally written in Latin, uh, in Latin, and uh, uh, its title, its first title was Adeste Fidelis, Adeste Fidelis, and its authorship has been kind of debated. Uh, it's been attributed to lots of different people over the years. Most famously, King John IV from Portugal was attributed to have written it. He reigned in the early 1600s. So this song perhaps has been around for a long time. But the earliest written copy that we have of it um, was written in 1751 by a fellow by the name of John Francis Wade. Um, Wade was a Catholic hymnist, not a Catholic gymnast. <laughs> he was a Catholic hymnist. He wrote hymns for the Catholic Church in England, and uh, he, of course, wrote this in Latin. The, it was translated in English in uh, 1841 by a fellow by the name of uh, Frederick Oakley. And ever since then, it's been sung in English-speaking churches every Christmas. And uh, this song, without a doubt, has stood the test of time. And so today, I've asked our brand new uh, worship leader, is he there? Is Chris back there? There he comes. Is he coming? If he doesn't come out, I'm going to have to sing it for you. Chris, are you out there? Wow. There, oh, brother, that was not funny. That was not funny. <laughs> This is Mr. Chris Seals. He's going to perform this for you. Hope you enjoy it. Give you some Christmas spirit. Amen. You can sit there. Sorry, that was not on purpose. But, uh, <laughs> I'm here now. So, oh, I know you guys know this song, so you're welcome to uh, join in with me as I sing.
Amen? That's good. Thanks, Chris. How many like that song? Yeah, that's one of the good ones. You hear that and you're like, I love it. And I think uh, I do too because it's easy to sing unlike a lot of other Christmas carols. But uh, the truth is, is that song has always been a little intimidating to me. Um, you know, think about that first line that it just starts out with, man. It just hits you right in the gut. It says, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, that was a little sketchy, wasn't it? I'm sorry about that. But my point is, is that when I hear that line, um, I think to myself, maybe, maybe I'm not worthy to, to come to this Christmas party, man. I mean, I am much more uh, acquainted with uh, feeling doubtful and depressed and defeated than feeling faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Does anybody feel me on that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think that's my, my tendency is to kind of be on the other side of those, those words. I think most of us would struggle to even say that one of those words describe us, right? For example, faithful. We all want to be faithful. We wish we were faithful, but uh, I think we wrestle. In fact, who would be honest here this morning and, and say that, you know what, when you woke up this morning, you had second thoughts about going to church this morning? Just raise your hand, be honest. Oh my gosh, the whole staff right here in the front. Uh, <laughs> That's not a good sign, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we all wrestle with being faithful. I know our church, you know, most people come to church once or twice a month and uh, faithful. I don't know if that describes me. Um, joy. Joyful can be difficult for some of us. In fact, some of you have been here already and we've sung three or four songs and you haven't sung at all. Uh, you just have no joy in Joyville for you right now. There's none. You're, you know, you're like, hey, I'm here at church. I'm faithful, but I don't feel very joyful. And of course, the last word, <laughs> that last word, I think all of us would be hard-pressed to uh, say that uh, we feel triumphant. Like, what is that? When was the last time you ever used that word? It's not really in our vernacular. We don't really talk about that often. It's not a word that I would use to describe anything in my life. Are, are my finances triumphant? <laughs> no, I'm a little more triangulated maybe, but uh, my marriage, is my marriage triumphant? Mm, try again, that didn't work in either. I don't know. The thing is, is I think that those words, uh, th many of us feel disqualified from feeling invited to go to a party for people who are faithful and joyful and triumphant. That's just not us. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Um, that isn't who Jesus invited to come. That's not who Jesus invited to come to the party. The truth is, is that Jesus invites the exact opposite of all those things. In fact, if you're taking notes, um, number one, I want you to understand this, that Jesus invites the weary and the burdened. The weary and the burdened. Anyone here this morning feeling a little tired or maybe even overwhelmed? Raise your hand if you're that. You, yeah, right. If so, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you to himself. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus said this. He said, come to me. Come to me. He didn't say come to church. He didn't say come to religion. Um, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I just, it just feels good to say that. Feels, I feel better just saying that and reminding myself of that promise. Now, some of you read that, and you might be a little surprised. You're like, you know what? I grew up 
in a religious family, <laughs> you know, and we were always drug, had, we had drug problem. I was always drugged to church, you know, my mom and dad. And, and coming to God was more about feeling more burdened than less. That every time I went to church, I walked out of church feeling worse than when I walked in. And if that's the way you've been doing it, clearly you've been doing it wrong. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Secondly, um, and just as a surprisingly, Jesus not only invites the weary and the burden, he invites sinners. Sinners, the sinners to come. Yeah, are there any sinners here? Let's take a poll real quick. About half of you, the other half, good, good for you. <laughs> but look at this in Matthew chapter 9, it says, uh, on hearing this, Jesus said, look, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous and the perfect, but I've come to call sinners. I'm inviting them. And again, some of you might be surprised by that when you hear that. You're like, oh my God, I thought God hates sinners. I got, thought God doesn't want to be around sinners. No, he loves them. He loves the world so much that he gave his son. He sent his son to help us, not to judge us. Jesus didn't come to judge us. And so, you know, with those two th things in mind, maybe we should change the lyrics to this Christmas carol that we've been singing all these years, right? I think it'd be much more accurate if we sing it this way. Oh, come all ye sinners, weary and the burden. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, the point is, my point is this, is if God is throwing a party for the sinful and the tired and the overwhelmed, count me in. <laughs> those are my peeps. That's where I can hang with. I can hang with those folks. Now, the good news, as I mentioned, is, is that God invites um, the broken to come to him, to come to his party. But the best news is that we don't leave there in the same condition that we arrive. God changes us when we come to him. There's a change that takes place. In fact, uh, you might not realize how deep that change is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the apostle Paul said this. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, or maybe a better way to put that is, therefore, if anyone has Christ in them, the new creation has come. A new creation has been made. The old is gone and dead, and the new has come and arrived in its place. The, the Greek word for new in that little passage is kainos. It means to be changed or to be made new or more specifically to be made brand new. Um, in other words, God doesn't come to us and just make us better. He makes us into something that has never been before. Paul would say that when we give our life to Jesus Christ, when you come to Christ he doesn't just improve you. He doesn't just make you a little bit better than the old version of you. No, no, no. He makes something entirely new. Something that has never existed before on this planet. The old you is completely gone and the new you has come. A you that has eternal value and eternal purposes. So this is, this is not the new and improved 2021 version of Troy Lewis that you're looking at. This is something that's never existed before when we come to Christ. And so what does this new you look like? What, what new does Jesus do in you? What, that's what we're talking about. What is this? When we come to him, what happens? Well, that's where this song has it right. 
That's where this song has it absolutely right. If you're taking notes, write this down. Let me give you three thoughts. Number one, Jesus, coming to Jesus, helps us become more faithful. And, and maybe a better way to put that is that, um, more specifically, it helps us become more full of faith. To be more filled with faith and trust in God, believing for good things. That's something that happens in our life. Jesus helps you and I see things that are not yet as if they already are. You and I are living uh, in this world right now, and we can see and sense the future that's coming our way. That's what faith is. Um, you ever kind of run into somebody or notice people that just seem to have a knack for seeing God and everything? You know, these people, they, 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 they just see God everywhere they go and in every circumstance that they're in. They're like, oh, here's God or there's God or boy, God is doing this and God's using this. Does anybody know someone like that? That is a person that is full of faith. They just see things that the rest of us don't necessarily see. Um, kind of reminds me of a story. I've told this uh, before to you guys about an older lady who was kind of famous in our neighborhood for being, uh, uh, for faith, for her faith. Everybody just knew where she stood on that. She wasn't shy about sharing God's goodness with anyone at any time. In fact, every night at the same time at night before she would go to bed, about nine o'clock, she would step on out onto her porch and real loud so the whole community could hear it, she'd go, praise God, and it would just kind of echo through the whole community. People could almost set their watches to it. And, uh, but of course, she had a neighbor, and her neighbor, next door neighbor, was an atheist. And so he didn't like this, and you would hear her come out and say, praise God, and then you'd hear him from his living room go, there ain't no God. <laughs> and this went on for years. These guys would go back and forth, and eventually she ran into some tough times, and, uh, and so she went out one evening out onto her porch and just kind of prayed out loud like she normally did. She's like, God, I'm out of food. I could use some groceries. Lord, I thank you now for answering my prayer, and I praise God. Well, there was no answer that night. Next morning, she walked out of her house, and there on the front porch was a bag of groceries, and she just got all excited. She's like, praise God. And instantly, her neighbor jumped out of the bushes, and he's like, ha, I told you there ain't no God. It was me who bought those groceries for you. It wasn't God. And she started getting excited and dancing and clapping. She's like, praise God, you brought me some groceries and you made the devil himself pay for it. <laughs> some people can just see God in any circumstance. And that's what faith is. Faith is seen beyond what you just see with your eyes. Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us a good definition of what faith is. The writer says this, that faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. And it is the proof of things not yet seen. As I mentioned to you, you and I have a little bit of living in the future. We, have, we know what the future is. We know what God has promised that he will do for those who follow. And so we live with faith and we have an assurance of those things and we have proof of those things not yet seen by those that are around us. And through Jesus, think about this, one of the advantages of being a follower of Christ is that we have the ability to live in this world and yet see into the next. I mean, think about how cool that is. You and I have the ability to transcend the doubt and the depression and the defeat that this world is heaping on us and instead walk with faith and, and with joy 
and in victory. Just as Jesus walked in that confidence. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me, whoever follows me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do and they will see even greater things than these. You and I, many of us have heard that for years. And maybe you're like, man, how does that happen? I've never really feel like I've seen greater things in my life. How do I see greater things? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a simple two-step process. Let me give you some suggestions. If you're here this morning and you're, you're searching this out, you want to see God move in your life, number one, you should look at Jesus. You should look to Jesus. Um, Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. It doesn't say let us fix our eyes on religion or on church. or It says put it on Jesus. When you and I look at the life of Jesus and the amazing things that he said and did, it's only natural that we will become more faith-filled. When we look at that, if you're here this morning and you're investigating this, you're not a churchy person, you're not a Christian, quote unquote, and you're checking this out, my, my, my warning to you is don't get caught up in church, don't get caught up in religion, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Look at this, the, Paul said this, the Apostle Paul said that Jesus is the visible representation of an invisible God. He clears up all the misconceptions and misunderstandings that we have about who God is and how God feels about us through Christ. And when we see the way Jesus loved and lived, we get a clearer picture of who he is all about. Looking at Jesus will fill us with faith. You remember Peter uh, when he walked on the water? You all know that story? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Peter was a fisherman. And it had to be hard for him to believe what he was seeing with his eyes. I mean, everything in his experience said, you cannot walk on water. In fact, I believe that Peter spent countless nights out on his boat fishing, and he looking at the waves and the water, and I believe that he dreamed, uh, at, at times he fell asleep and dreamed of even walking on the water. But he never believed that it could be done until he saw Jesus actually doing it. It broke something inside of him. And, and, and instead, of, uh, instead of talking himself out of it, he took a step of faith. Seeing Jesus do it caused him to take a step of faith. And he got out of the boat and he began walking towards Jesus. Look at this. Matthew 14 says this. Then Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But check this out. It says this. But when he saw, when he looked at the wind and the waves, he then became afraid and he began to sink. The point, very simple, is, is that when we look at the problems, when he looked at the wind and the waves, he began to sink. But as long as he was looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of his faith, he had the faith to do the impossible. And so we should look to Jesus. We should investigate him. Secondly, we should listen to him. Jesus tells us and gives us encouragements to take step of faith. And when we do that, it builds our faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. So faith comes from, where does faith come from? It comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Again, it's interesting. The, uh, Peter's miraculous walk on waters began when he heard Jesus' words. In verse 26 it says this, that when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. I mean, what else could have it been? People don't walk on water. But Jesus immediately said to them, don't be afraid, it is I. And then in verse 28, it says this, then Peter then called to him. And Peter gets a lot of flack 
for saying goofy things. But man, what he does next is just brilliant. He said, Lord, if that is really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said one word, come. And Peter listened to what he said. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. If you don't have a lot of faith this morning, you're not full of faith, you're not seeing God, look to Jesus and listen to Jesus. Follow Jesus and you will have more faith. That's number one. Number two, the second thing that Jesus does is he helps us become more joyful. Joyful. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Appreciate you responding. <laughs> Do you know that when Christ comes into our life, that joy is one of the natural byproducts that comes with him? It just, it just comes. It's automatic. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says that the fruit of the Spirit, the produce, the result of having the Spirit of God inside of us is love and it is joy. It comes naturally. In other words, you and I don't have to manufacture love when we're walking with Christ. When Jesus is inside of us, there's more love than you could ever imagine. When Jesus is inside of us, there's more joy. You don't have to try to manufacture joy. It just comes naturally, like an apple tree. What does an apple tree make? Apples, but it doesn't have to try to do it. It just naturally does. It is wired to produce apples. And the same is true for you and I. As new creations in Christ, we are wired to produce joy. We should be famous for our joy. Why am I banging on this table? I don't know. As I talk about being joyful. <laughs> but if it frustrates me, it flummoxes me, how people who are filled with the Spirit of Christ or claim to be don't have joy. This should be the most joy-filled place in Steamboat Springs every time we gather because we know what God has done for us. We know what God is doing for us. We know what God is going to do for us. Boy, that ought to make you excited, amen? amen? There is joy. Before Jesus, I could not produce joy on my own. I couldn't manufacture it. But after Jesus, joy has been an earmark of my life. Now, some of you are like, well, wait a second, Pastor Troy. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't have Jesus. I'm pretty happy. Well, no, 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 no. You, uh, happiness and joy, those are two different things. They're not the same thing. Happiness is circumstantial. It is related. Happiness is related to something that is happening. It's circumstantial. If things are good right now, then you can be happy. But if they're not so good, then you're not happy. But joy isn't necessarily related to what's happening to you or in this world. Joy comes from a deeper place. Um, joy, I would suggest to you, is otherworldly. It's supernatural. It, 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 it's not connected to what's happening here. It's supernatural. Um, many of you might remember the Christmas story, and Luke gives a great account of it. And in Luke chapter 2, look at what he says. He, he, he says some messengers from heaven came to some regular people, just some shepherds out in the field one night. Look at what he said. It said, the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news. This is good news that will cause great joy. Not a little bit of joy, but great joy for all people. This news isn't just for the religious. This isn't just for you. This isn't for the Jews up at the temple. This is for all people everywhere, and it will bring great joy. Why? For today, in the town of David, a Savior, one from God, 
has been born to you, has been given to you, and it'll bring joy. Happiness comes from what's happening. The joy comes from Jesus. And so Jesus helps us to become more faithful. He helps us to become more joyful. And lastly, Jesus helps us to become more triumphant. (laughs) What does that word even mean? I don't know. My point, I think, that I'm trying to make here is that when you and I join Team Jesus, we're joining the winning team, right? We're on the winning team. Look at this. 750 years before Jesus came into this world, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this about the birth and the eventual triumph of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, look at what he predicted about what would happen when Christ came. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us... A child is born. 750 years it predicted how God was going to enter this planet. A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I love this next line. It says this. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Peace, something that we're all looking for, and we all get little tastes of it every now and then. We get a little glimpse of peace. We have a little season of peace. But when Christ comes in, when his kingdom is fully established, there is a day you and I will always have peace forevermore. We will never, there will be a time in our life when we will never be afraid ever again. We will never worry ever again. Can you imagine such a life? My life is so filled with worries and fears and concerns. But there's a time when all of that will just fade away and it'll be just continuous peace Mm, forever. I love that. There will be no end. And then it says this, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Forever. Mm. In other words, get this. Um, Jesus' kingdom is going to be the last kingdom. It will be the last one. There have been many kingdoms that have risen and fallen in the history of this world. But Jesus' kingdom will be the last kingdom. When this ball game is over, my friend, those of you who are with Jesus, you will be standing in victory on the winning side. You know, um, I thought about that this week. There's nothing better than feeling like a winner, being on the winning team. It's just a blast. Um, You know, I I played pickleball on Thursday night with a group of guys, and I'm just going to be honest, I kicked their butts. (laughs) And I walked out of the tennis center feeling a feeling I don't often get. (laughs) I felt like a winner. I'm like, I'm good. Back up, you know. I felt good. When you're a winner, you walk differently. It changes your disposition. You, you talk differently. You act differently, right? You got a little confidence when you're a winner. And this is something that's missing in the kingdom of heaven, in, in Christianity, is that most of us aren't living and walking and talking and acting like winners, right? We've lost our confidence. And the world does that. I know this for a fact. I grew up in Craig, Colorado. Many of you know that I was born in Steamboat Springs, but I was raised in Craig. And to be honest, I didn't really feel like a winner <laughs> coming from Craig. 
Uh, some of you might remember back in the day, Craig and Steamboat used to have a, a big rivalry between each other. It used to be a pretty big thing. It's still kind of that way. But Charlie, for example, Charlie was on the last state championship high school football team here in Steamboat produced. I won't tell you what year it was, but he was on that. But he knows, man, back in the day, football, anything against Steamboat and Craig, it was a big deal. It was a big rivalry. But the truth is, is that it wasn't really much of a rivalry. Um, Steamboat almost always won. I mean, you name it, football, basketball, uh, baseball, wrestling, track, they whooped us. They would always beat us, right? But I'll never forget this night, February, 1986. 1986, my senior year, Moffat County High School beat Steamboat Springs in basketball. Some of you are applauding. <laughs> it was a huge game. Not because it was just Steamboat and Craig. Um, at the time, Moffat County was ranked, think about this, Moffat County was ranked third in state in basketball, and Steamboat was ranked second in state in basketball. They had like a 6'9", six, 6'10 uh, six, six, kid on the team, and both teams were both undefeated. It was crazy. And ever since junior high, me and my buddies, we basically endured a beating from Steamboat every single year. Year after year, we would get beat and watch this happen, and, we, and it just was demoralizing. And we were desperate to feel victorious just one time. Please, God, just once let us beat those stupid, stinking sailors. <laughs> well, that night, Moffat County High School won. Oh, man, we won, and it was awesome. It was the best. But here's the thing I remember about that night. It was interesting. At the end of the game... Uh, Craig was up by about 10, maybe 15 points, about 30 seconds left in the game. And our top player uh, fouled out of the game, committed a foul. And it was weird. Um, the steamboat crowd, which was pretty big and rambunctious that night, they kind of got all excited. They went nuts when he fouled out. And they did that old, that old uh, chant when you foul out. They went, you, 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 you. Know Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And they just went nuts. And, and I was with my buds, and we're on the other side of the gym like, what are they getting excited for? He just fouled out. We won the game. It's over, right? We won. You lost. Get over it. And one of my friends instantly thought of the perfect reply to that. He did the old chant where he would take his arm and he'd go, scoreboard, scoreboard. We were all scoreboard, basically saying, it's over. What are you guys getting excited about? We whooped you. We win. You lose. You guys are losers. I know. <laughs> it was a big night. And I'll tell you, one of my best memories of high school was walking out of your high school gym for the first time ever knowing that I was on the winning side. It felt so good. The problem is, is that moments like that don't happen off, often in this life. They're kind of rare. Um, I mean, for a lot of us, um, our life is more about experiencing one loss after another. I mean, sure, every now and then we get an occasional win here or there. But for the most part, we lose. We lose jobs. Um, we lose our health. We lose our hair. <laughs> we lose friends. And we lose loved ones. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, um, if you live long enough in this world, you're going to lose everything and everyone that you've ever loved. But here's the thing. With Jesus, all 
is not lost. All is not lost. With Jesus, you're on the winning side, my friend. In fact, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and about to breathe his last, the last words that he said on that cross are interesting. He said, it is finished. It is finished. Game over. I have won. I have accomplished what God sent me to this planet. Mm-mm. Death, you lose. Sin, you lose. Devil, you lose. It's over. Cross is a weird symbol. For years, it, it was a symbol of shame and scorn. But today, we look at the cross as the ultimate sign of victory. Because in that moment when Jesus died on the cross, it, everything turned upside down. We have victory in his death because of what he's done. And now when the enemy, when the devil comes to me and t- loves to point out my failures like he always does, remind me of all the things, he's always like, you, 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 you. When he does that, you know what I just do? I just remind him of the cross. I point at the cross and I remind him of the victory that Jesus won for me. I go, scoreboard, scoreboard, come on, say it with me, scoreboard, scoreboard, you lost, it's over, shut up, the skinny lady has sung, (laughs) some of you are like, Pastor Troy, you're going a little too far with this scoreboard thing, yes, I know, (laughs) but Jesus said the same exact thing to his disciples in John chapter 16, On the night that he was arrested, he was having a meal with his disciples. And he warned them. He said, guys, look, things are going to get a little dicey for you. People are going to chase you down. You're going to be hunted. You're going to be put in prison. You're going to be beaten. You run out of town. Some of you are going to even die. He said, but don't give up. Don't lose heart. And in verse 33, he said this. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. Not in religion. Not in church. But in Jesus, you will have peace. In this world, you're going to have some troubles. It's not, you're not going to get all the wins that you want. But take heart. Why? Look at this. For I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. I have triumphed ultimate victory over this world. He was reminding them, when I die on the cross, I'm going to be triumphant. That's maybe the only place that that word really fits. I will be triumphant. And if you're with me, you're triumphant too. And so, please, listen to this former loser from Craig, Colorado. When I tell you that if words like faithful and joyful and triumphant don't exactly describe your life or your situation, I got some good news for you, my friend. You and I have been invited to come, to come to Jesus. And if we come to Jesus, you and I will experience firsthand what each one of those words feel like. Joyful, (laughs) faithful, triumphant. I like that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let me say a quick prayer for you. Father, um, thank you for your word. Gosh, we, we kind of get into a habit of just making up our life <laughs> on our own, trying to figure out life on our own ability and our own intellect. But your word tells us the truth. 
Um, Jesus, you said that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And what truth do we need to know? <laughs> we need to know that, that there, there is a reason to be full of faith. That even though things are falling around, around me, and I don't see how anything can change, you walked on water. You raised the dead. You healed the blind. And what you did once, you can do again. And so God, today, this morning, each one of us, even though we don't feel very faithful, we can be filled with faith when we look to you and remind ourselves that you are our Lord and that you are our Savior. And the Father, the truth is, is that, uh, you know, we don't feel that joyful all the time. This life has the ability to wear us down, to beat us up and to kick us into the corner, feel like we're, we're down. But no, 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 no. We have the ability to see in the future and to know that one day we will have ultimate peace forever and ultimate joy in your presence and that we can be joyful today. You don't have to wait for that day. We can be joyful today knowing that that is coming for us and what you've done for us. And, and I pray that we as a church and as followers of Christ would be the most joyful people in this town, that we would be known for our joy because of what you've done for us. And lastly, I think about triumphant. Uh, you, you, you say that we can feel that way, and I don't feel very victorious all the time, but ultimately the victory's already been won, and uh, we are on the right side, and you've got us, and you're going to get us home. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to know the truth and that it would set us free and that we would walk with a different kind of confidence, not a cockiness, but a confidence that God has got this, that we can be joyful today because we stand with you in victory, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray.